updates on a few things before we get into the word this morning. Um, uh, first is, uh, if you know Ben and Victoria Cole, they, um, they've invited you all, <laughs> I guess you all, to a uh, caroling, a time of caroling Wednesday night. And um, if you're like me and you can't really sing, just make sure you come with a bunch of other people to drown out your voice, right? Um, but they're inviting you to their house. And if you are interested and you want to know where that is, just come see me afterwards. I'll, be, I'll give you their address. Um, but we're going to meet 6 o'clock on Wednesday. And we're just going to go into, into their neighborhood there. And they're doing it with their house church. And they're inviting, if you're part of a house church, you want to bring your house church, do it. If you're not a part of a house church, come by yourself. If you want to come with your family, come with your family. If you want to do this in your own neighborhood, do it in your own neighborhood. But the uh, desire would be just to go out and, and sing and, and be a blessing in different communities throughout Holland. And so they're going to start there, and if there's a bunch of people, they're going to blast that area. And if there's just a few, they'll hit that immediate neighborhood. So that's Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, and you're all welcome to join. Again, if you want the address, um, you can come ask me, and I'm happy to give it to you for a small fee. Okay, cool. Um, two more things. Um, one is uh, you'll notice these two plastic seats up here. If you're newer to Moran Park, um, I like you guys like looking around. It's good. It's... Uh, these are seats that we, we have put in place to provide an opportunity for you to uh, share what the Lord's putting on your heart as we gather together as the body of Christ. And so we believe that the Spirit speaks to all believers, and sometimes that's for us as individuals, but sometimes that's for the whole body, the, corporately. And we want to do that in a way that's orderly. So if you've got a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of tongues, interpretation, and encouragement, those things that are gifts of the Spirit— Again, we want to do it orderly, and so we ask that as we're worshiping or before the service or anything like that, you just come up to whoever's sitting in these two plastic seats and just share that with you. And they will determine whether that's for all of us or whether that's maybe just for you or maybe for another time. And so if you come up and they have you they say, it's not for today, don't take it personally. Sometimes it's just not, not for right now. Um, but it's an opportunity for you to, use the, you to use the gifts God's given you for the sake of the whole and the edification of the whole. Cool? All right. Last but not least, we always want to be transparent and upfront with you about, well, everything. And uh, we don't talk much around here about money because I don't, I don't know. We just, we just don't. I'm, I'm not sure why. We just, we just don't. It's not that we don't think it's important and we're not trying to hide anything. Um, but every once in a while, we do want to mention where things are at financially more as a way for you to just to be intentional about asking the Lord what he wants you to do with his finances. Sorry, this thing is just bothering me. Perfect. Cutting circulation off my ear. That means it's fitting right. All right. Great. Um, is, is financially, like we, we don't, we believe that everything we have is the Lord's. And so we want to just encourage you occasionally to ask the Lord, hey, what do you want me to do with my finances? Where do you want me to give my money? And that may mean he doesn't want you to give to Moran Park. We're not trying to guilt you or convince you, like, you got to give your money here to Moran or even First Moran. We believe that the Lord will direct you what to do with your money. That may mean if you know of someone in your life that's in financial need, the Lord may say, give financially there. If, if there's a, a missionary or there's someone here that has a need or your neighborhood or here at Moran Park, ask the Lord what he wants to do with your money and how much to give and then just give in response. And so uh, if, if that is something the Lord is putting in your heart, there is a practical way to obey the Lord. And we're not passing buckets these days. I know some of you aren't comfortable with passing the buckets in light of COVID. And so one of the easiest ways to give is that you can text to give. And you just text a dollar amount 
to 84321. And if you've never set anything up, it'll prompt you and to set it up, and then you can give accordingly. And so it's just a way, again, to respond to the obedience of, of the Lord uh, in what he wants you to give. Now, financially, we are down quite a bit this year than we were last year. We're down 60% from what we were last year. And here's the thing that I've realized about myself is it is super easy to say, oh, we trust the Lord, the Lord will provide when there's plenty of finances, right? Is God not the same God as he is now than he was a year ago, right? So sometimes that means, yeah, we've got to make adjustments, you've got to do things differently, but God is not the one who's changing, and he will provide for what we need. And so I don't say we're down 60% to be like, so you better get your pocketbooks out and give, but to say, what does the Lord want you to do in response, Okay. Don't give out a guilt. Don't give out an obligation. The Lord doesn't need your money. He's got the kettle on a thousand hills, all right? And so um, I just tell you that to be transparent and just to say, that's where we're at. That's where things are at. And um, we're walking in obedience to what the Lord wants us to do and wisdom to address that. If you got any specific questions, just ask. Cool? Or not cool? You're going to yeah. stare at me like, oh, okay. All right, great. Any other announcements that I missed? You got a good one? I haven't given them in a while, so I don't know. Okay, great. How far away is Christmas? What is it? Less than three weeks. Praise God. <laughs> All right. So this morning we're starting, we're going to talk about um, just our Christmas season getting into Advent. And Advent is all about waiting, Right? And which is somewhat, I mean, not somewhat appropriate, it's totally appropriate, because doesn't it feel like right now we're just like waiting for all kinds of stuff? Um, I, I don't know what it is that you're, you're waiting for. I could probably rattle off like 50 things I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for. In fact, why don't you do that? I want you to think for a minute. What is something that you're waiting for? I mean, things to go back to normal. Good luck, right? A vaccine. Election results, yeah. It's kind of that awkward laugh, like, <laughs> right? <yeah. laughs> I'm not even, not even going to go there. <laughs> Whatever it may be, think about it. What, what is, what's something that you're waiting for? All right, I want you to turn to someone next to you. Just share, share with them. What, what, what's something you're waiting for? Tell them what you're waiting for. All right, let's bring it back together. All right, we could, we could probably just share all day. Like, I'm waiting for this, I'm waiting for this, I'm waiting for this. Uh, that's kind of the story of, of life, right? Is we're, we're constantly waiting for something. That's the story of the Bible. 
is constantly waiting for, for something. It's a story of Christmas, the Advent, right? Waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And in fact, what really struck me as I was kind of thinking through this this week, I was, I was reading through the Christmas story in Luke and the Christmas story in Matthew. And um, actually, if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew 1. Just, just open it up. I think it's funny, because I always have this temptation, when you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and you see what's there. What's there? What do you see? Genealogy. Genealogy. What do you do typically when you see that? Skip it, right? Yeah. I, I always did the same thing. I'm like, oh, okay, there's the genealogy. Let's kind of skim past that and move, move along. And I think, right, it's partly you're like, why is that there? And the other part is, well, they're hard to pronounce a lot of those names. Um, but what struck me is kind of going through that genealogy this week, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, it's kind of the summary of all this, and this is what it says. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of, to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon... To the Christ, 14 generations. And it struck me that, wow, look at all of this, all the way back from Abraham, the father of the Jewish people that God entered in a special relationship with. From that point forward, when things got sideways, they're continuing to wait. They're, they're continuing to wait in expectation and anticipation for the Messiah or the Christ, the Savior, the one who was going to rescue them, the king that was going to come and establish God's kingdom here on earth. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. And they don't wait a couple years. They wait, anyone good at math? Was it 14 years from Abraham to David, 14, year, uh, years, 14 generations from Abraham to David, another 14 generations to when, uh, from David to when God's people are sent into exile in Babylon, and another 14 years from when they come back from Babylon. 14 generations, thank you. Thank you correcting me, great. Um, to Christ. I mean, that's, I'm not good at math, but that's, that's a ton of generations. What is it? No, 40, you guys. That's like when I kid, I was, my kids are homeschooled, and uh, I, uh, it's, it's rough when I have to help my kids with math, because my fourth grader, he'll, he'll tell me what it is, asking, like, he looks at me like, is that right or not? And I, like, I have no idea, right? So it's like, yeah, buddy, I'm sure that is, you know. Answers are in the back somewhere, so... It's, uh, math is just not it, not it for me. But my point being, not that I'm terrible at math, though that may be true. The point is, it's like, look at how long God's people are waiting. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And I think that's an important thing to keep in the back of our mind, is a background for when we get into the Christmas story. Jump over to Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> I want to pick it up after Jesus is born. Um, when Jesus is presented in the temple as part of the, this purification process shortly after he's born, um, Luke 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 25 as we look at two people here who give us an, a picture of waiting. Luke 2, starting in verse 25, and this is what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ meaning Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when, <clears throat> and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now it goes on here in verse 36 to talk about Anna as well, who's also in the temple, who's also waiting. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up, that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, a lot going on here in the temple when Jesus is brought to the temple. And you see these two people, and it highlights both of them being old in age, advanced in age. Uh, Anna, uh, she, um, and Simeon had been there for a long, long, long time, right? And Anna had been there uh, as well for a long time, and she's been a widow for a long time. She's worshiping, she's fasting, she's praising the Lord. And it says about Anna that she's waiting for, uh, what's the word that they use here? Sorry. Redemption of Jerusalem. And it says something similar for Simeon as well, that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, where they had this expectation as Jewish people that when God's Messiah came, when God's king would come, that they would establish his kingship. It would establish his rule. And what God would want done would be done, and the wickedness would be wiped away, the evil would be wiped away, the unjust, the, the pagan, they'd be all wiped away, and God's person would be put on the throne, and they would reign and they would rule. But they had certain expectations of how this was going to take place. I mean, many of them thought that this was going to be a very uh, militaristic type of ordeal, that it was going to be physical violence that was going to be an uprising for their oppressors. Because you got to remember, for, for most of the history of the Jewish people, they are oppressed. They are either exiled into foreign lands, or they have people oppressing them in their own land. It's just like a history of oppression. It's a history of uh, being beaten down. It's a history of people pressing them down. In, in the day of Jesus, there was no exception, right? It's the Roman, the Roman army, the Roman government that is oppressing God's people. And so they're thinking, okay, when the Messiah comes, he's going to kick some Roman booty. He's going to come with the sword, and he's going to raise up an army. And this army is going to come, and they are going to slaughter the Romans, put them in their place. Their king, there's gonna be, the Caesar is going to be ripped down, and God's person is going to be put on the throne. They're going to get God's person in office. And it's going to happen through this physical uprising. That was their expectation. 
That was what they had in their, their mind, right? They had even people before Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, and that's exactly what they did. They came, got the sword, and then they would be crushed down and be like, well, I guess they're not the Messiah. So here you have all of these expectations surrounded when the Messiah was going to come and what was going to look like and how it was going to happen. And some people thought, well, it, we have to help God out and start this rebellion and start killing off Romans, then God will send his Messiah. Some people are thinking, well, we just have to be holy enough. We have to set, our, set ourselves apart enough and be good enough and follow the law enough. Then God will be pleased with us. Then he will send his Messiah to come and rescue us. Either way, how it's going to happen, there's this longing for generation after generation after generation that they knew, like, things weren't the way that they're supposed to be. Things are off. Things are wrong. Things are broken. Things are messed up. And they're crying out, longing for God to come and send his Messiah, that he would rescue them. So imagine that, right? When Simeon comes, and he's promised, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And he's an old dude. He's been waiting, and the generations have been waiting before him, and generations before him. And here Simeon's like, all right, I've been waiting a long time, but God has promised that I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reveals who this Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. Imagine the excitement then when he sees him, and he takes that baby in his arms. He's like, oh, I've now seen your salvation, Lord. Right? Imagine that joy. I think that's what happens why waiting is a big deal for us sometimes is because the longer we wait for something, isn't it just even sweeter when we see it happen? Like, I, I think sometimes this gets missed on us because we live in a culture of instant gratification where, um, like, we, we don't like to wait for anything and so we don't get the joy and the pleasure of the satisfaction of something coming to fruition after a long period of waiting. Like, right? If you're on your phone and, and you, get, you get mad when something has to buffer on your phone, don't you? Like, we forget the old days of dial-up internet where you'd, like, push, connect, you know, you go make breakfast, go make your bed, right? You come back, you're like, I got another couple of minutes, and it's just like we, we, we miss that. Or even myself as a, as a Cubs fan, there's a couple other Cubs fans, right? You know, <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, I, I've, I've shared this story with you, but I'll share it again, um, right? I, I grew up a Cubs fan my whole life. And as a kid, I was always told, don't get your hopes up about the Cubs winning the World Series. They haven't won since 1908. And that's not just waiting my lifetime. That's not waiting just my father's lifetime or his father's lifetime. It's my great-grandfather's lifetime that he saw them win last. And so 2016 comes. I mean, years of heartbreak, years of disappointment, years of weeping and gnashing and crying and giving up and in the fetal position, right? And... Um, 2016 happens after years of waiting, generations of waiting, 108 years of waiting, and the Cubs win the World Series. And my wife and I, this is how I knew, I knew I married an amazing woman, but I knew that there was going to be a rally in Chicago that a couple days later, and I said, what do you think about going? She says, let's go. And we joined five million of our closest friends, <laughs> right, and celebrated the, the, this victory. And it was so sweet because you're like hugging strangers, right? It's pre-COVID. You're like hugging strangers. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us, you know? And it was, there's something about, because they hadn't won in 108 years, that made it even sweeter. Those teams that win like every couple of years, um, it kind of wears off, you know? Like if the Cubs were to win again, I'd be excited, but not like it was when you wait 108 years for this to take place. I mean, this is the same thing. I mean, to a greater degree. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. 
as exciting as it is to wait for something as silly as sports for simply 108 years, imagine how much sweeter it is to see the fulfillment of the promised Messiah come after thousands of years. Even sweeter. And I think that's what God builds in us oftentimes is this waiting that he wants us to wait for the sake of just the joy and the worship that comes when that day happens. Here's the thing, right? It didn't happen the way that these people anticipated or thought it was going to take place. They thought it was going to happen right in these certain ways. And Jesus doesn't come with the sword to kill people. He came to be killed. He didn't come to put himself on the throne. He came and he humbled himself. He came and took the lowly position, right? And, and that's part of it, right? With, with the gospel, he came to bring salvation. He came to rescue us of our sins. And, and we don't have to wait for that forgiveness now. We don't have to wait to be in relationship with God. But still, just as Jesus died and he rose from the dead... He's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, but our waiting still continues. It's not like, all right, Jesus came, he's born as a baby, great, there's no more waiting. Like, the waiting continues. And we see this throughout the New Testament, that we're waiting, we're still waiting. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We're waiting for uh, things to be redeemed. We're waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. We're waiting for all this stuff. We see this in Romans chapter 8, that we're still in the middle of waiting. Romans eight twenty three through 25 says this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this is saying like, we're still waiting. We, we get to experience a relationship with the Lord in part. We get to experience that redemption in part. We get to experience that new life. You know, in part, we experience it. But there will be a day when Jesus comes back, and we get to experience the fullness of it, and we get to see him face to face. That we will get to have our bodies, as it says, uh, a redemption of our bodies, where our bodies will be raised up in a new body that will not perish, that will not fade, that will not experience dementia or uh, soreness or brokenness or cancer or any of that other garbage. It will be one that will last forever in the presence of God for all of eternity. It's going to be beautiful. But in the midst of it, it says like we're groaning, all of creation groans, and we groan for that day to come. And isn't that the truth nowadays? Like so much groaning, like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I can't believe that this is the way things are. Oh, I can't believe this. It's like it doesn't take long. It takes about three minutes of the day, right, of, you know, your knees creaking when you get out of bed to be like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. When you turn on the TV, you're like, oh, this is messed up. Again, this happened. Again, this abuse. Again, this way. It doesn't take long to realize this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes it can be like, man, how long, oh Lord? How long do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait for your return? And sometimes in the midst of the waiting, sometimes I think we forget that we're still waiting. Sometimes I think we forget that the fullness of what we experience in salvation is not here yet. The fullness will come when we see him face to face. And in the meantime, as we'll talk about next week, we don't wait alone. He waits with us, the God who is with us, Emmanuel. But even as we, we wait, we wait in hope. Because it says here, right, in Romans chapter 8, we hope in things, now hope is, sorry, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Saying we have hope. God is giving us hope. He's granting us hope for what is yet to come. 
in the midst of the, 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 the brokenness and the struggle and the waiting. And I know, I, listen, I know you guys are waiting for all kinds of things. You guys probably came up with all kinds of things that you're waiting for. You're, you're waiting for relationships to be mended. You're waiting for clarity on something. You're waiting for situations to be resolved. You're waiting for vindication on things to prove that you are right, right? You're, you're waiting for uh, justice to come in situations or in systems or, or in the world. You're waiting, you're waiting for all of these things. It's like, oh, how long, oh Lord? And the hope is not that... Uh, our hope is found not in the things of this world, but our hope is found that we have the promise that Jesus will one day return and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to make it all right. I think sometimes there's this temptation to get weary when you're waiting. And some of you are at that place this morning. You're just like, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done giving up on this. And so we just turn to apathy or we just get cynical or we just like get depressed. It's where it says like Proverbs 13, 12, I think is what it is. Yeah, 13, 12. It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Like, when, when we're hope, hope that isn't, isn't realized, it just makes our heart sick. It makes us like, oh, oh, oh. But here's the thing sometimes I realize why our heart grows sick in, in the lack of the fulfillment of hope. It's because sometimes I think our waiting reveals that we're actually hoping in the wrong thing. Like, if you're like me, these days, what I'm actually hoping for, I'm hoping for comfort to be returned. I'm hoping for certainty a lot of times to be returned. I, I'm hoping for things to turn out. This is one I get all the time. Like, I, I'm hoping for things to turn out the way I think that they should turn out, how I think they should turn out. But the reminder of the gospel and at Christmas is our hope is not found in simply what God brings us or gives us. Our hope is found in him alone. I think what, what I always get challenged with sometimes is I think there's a temptation for me to use, and you're probably in the same boat, right? But we, we have this temptation to use God as a tool to get what we want, right? I'm using God to get peace. I'm using God to get sobriety. I'm using God to get clarity. I'm using God to get these particular things. But when he doesn't act the way we think he should or how we think, we sh- we think he should or in the timing that we think he should, we're like, well, he... He failed us, we're done, right? Because he didn't do what we want him to do to get what we wanted to get. And instead realize that God does give us those things and he does bless us and he does provide those things. But the beauty of what we are pursuing is that Jesus is not just our, he's not a tool, Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is a thing that we get in the end. And sometimes in waiting, it's revealing, what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your desire in? What are you putting your joy in? Is it in the Lord or is it in something other than the Lord? I got a bunch of verses. I'm just seeing which ones to go to. If you're like me, when you feel like you've given the Lord a chance and you're tired of waiting, then you have a temptation to uh, take matters in your own hands. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I gave you a chance, Lord. Now I'm going to go ahead and take care of this because I like it better when I'm in control, when I can determine how this goes. It says this in Psalm 33, verse 16 through 22. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. 
and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. I mean, how often is that, right? Like we, we look to the wisdom of the world, we look to the things of the world for our hope or to fix our situation rather than the trusting that the Lord is our shield, he is our fortress, he is our protector, he is the one that will fight the battle on our behalf. And that's why even in the waiting, we can walk in joy because we know this isn't my problem to fix, it's his to fix and it's his to worry about. I mean, I, I struggle with this all the time. All the time. Because I hate waiting. I hate it. I, oh my gosh. My family and I were cutting down a Christmas tree the other weekend. And we went to this Christmas tree farm down by my mom's that we've gone to for like 30 years. And we drove up. And it's like all these out-of-town people that think it's like a cool thing to do is to go cut down a Christmas tree. And so instead of just jumping right on the, you like take the, the wagon ride out there, right? You take the wagon ride out there to cut down your tree, and then you put the tree on the wagon, and, and it brings you back around if you cut it down yourself, which is outrageous, right? You pay so much money to do all the work on your own, but whatever. Um, we pulled up, and we get in line, and I'm like, there's like 100 people in line. I'm going, oh, no. Not happening. So I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I, gotta, I was like just trying to calm down because I'm like, I'm not waiting an hour to cut down a tree. I go into the bathroom, and there was a saw that someone had left there from cutting the tree. I'm like, this is a sign from the Lord. <laughs> so I grabbed the saw, and I said, the Lord's spoken, right? No, I just can't say that. But I said, we're not waiting. This is garbage. Let's walk. I saw the trees were going, and all my family and my, you know, some of my other siblings and their kids, like, we all walked, and we cut down the tree ourselves and hauled it back on our own. We got there, got back, got the thing bundled in our car before we would have gotten on the, tr on the trolley or on the, on, the, on the wagon in the first place. Problem solved, right? Here's the thing. I try to do that with the Lord all the time. It might work with Christmas trees. It does not work with the things of the Lord. Because my power and my might pale in comparison to the power and the might of the Lord. I think that's oftentimes what the Lord wants to do is in, in the waiting, he wants to show up in a way that none of us can take credit but him. He wants to wait so that way we've exhausted all our other options. Like, okay, you can try. Okay, good luck with that. Okay. So finally, like, I can't do it. And he's like, exactly. And then he shows up and goes, look what I can do so that he alone gets praise. I mean, that's where things are at with me, with Moran right now. It's like, okay, Lord, it's, it's this waiting. Like, what, what are you calling us into? What are, what are things going to look like? And in an ever-changing reality, right, where Moran used to be known as like this, we, Moran Park is all these people packed out at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning here. Well, th that continues to morph and change. We have more and more people that are streaming online because that's what they're more comfortable with. So we have just as many people, if not more, streaming online than we do have coming in this room. We also have people that have taking the call seriously to go be the church in a simple way in their homes, and we have 30 to 35 house churches that are meeting, and many of them are just like, hey, we're going to meet there and come to Moran occasionally on Sunday mornings. So there's a bunch of who Moran Park is that isn't here in the same place, and it's going like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? How do we equip people to be the church in, when it looks so much different than it did a year ago? And in the flesh, I just want to come up with a solution because I hate waiting. And I think that's what the Lord's inviting us into together as Moran Park is to say, 
We don't know what the future holds, but our eyes are on the Lord. We wait on him to tell us what to do. I don't know, listen, it's awkward. It's awkward, and you're like, I gotta wear a mask. It's awkward where you're like, it, it's different when there's not 600, 700 people belting out things to the Lord. It's just different. It's odd, right? And you're like, I don't like the discomfort. I hate the discomfort, too. But I think it's in the discomfort that the Lord is shaping us. It's in the discomfort that the Lord is saying, will you trust me even when it's uncomfortable? And I believe what he's going to do in the end is going to be spectacular. Two more quick verses of encouragement before I wrap up. Some of you are at this place where you're like, I've been waiting long enough and I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to give you this encouragement. Psalm 69, 1 through 3 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. This is a lot of us, right? My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. That's where some of you are like, I've been waiting, I've been waiting how long, O Lord? And I pray that this would be encouragement if you drop down to verse 13 of Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. I pray that the Lord would give you the grace to wait on him and just to continue to wait for his timing and his way to step in and bring redemption in those situations. And that's where it says this, the last encouragement, Psalm 62, just, uh, and I'll do this whole thing, Psalm 62, 5 through 8, I think sometimes it's like, not only am I waiting, I'm tired of waiting, I'm burned out of waiting, and now you're saying I have to have hope in the waiting and endurance in the waiting, I can't do it, I don't have any hope. Hey, praise God. He is the one that gives the hope for us even as we wait. This is what it says in Psalm 62, 5 through 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him, right? My hope is from him. He gives the hope. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And that's my encouragement for us, Moran Park, this morning, whether you're here or you're at, uh, streaming online, like, that is my hope, is that as we wait, as we wait, that we would continue to put our hope in the Lord. He is worthy of our hope. He is better at what is to come, giving us what is to come, than us taking matters into our own hands. The wait is worth it, I promise you. Let's pray. God, as we wait, we thank you that you're the one that gives us the endurance to wait. We thank you that you are shaping us into a people worthy of your return as we wait, God. We thank you, God, that you are going to do what you say you're going to do, that you are going to uh, return, you're going to come again, you're going to make all things new. But we know, God, that as we wait, you're with us, and as we wait, God, you will come, and you you will do it, you will do it. So, God, where we lack faith, will you give us faith? Where we're turning to other things, will uh, will you give us the grace to turn to you on those things? Will you fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with peace, God? For those that do feel like they're just in the mire and they're, they're drowning and they're just suffering in the midst of their waiting, God, I pray, Lord, that you would lift them up.
I thank you for that promise and so much of the time it comes down to you will be the one to fight for us. We only need to be still. So God, those areas where we're just trying to take matters into our own hands, we're trying to do it because we like to be in control, or we like things predictable and calculated, or we need this or that, God, would you give us the grace to lay those things down before you and say, God, I trust you, you do it. Thank you for those ways, God, when we, we have taken matters into our own hands, you're not sitting there condemning us or yelling at us, you're, you're inviting us into putting them back down and waiting on you again. Would you give us the grace to do it? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. My hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen. Invite Daniel and the band to come up. I believe we've got some more singing to do.